What's up, guys? The Winter is Coming podcast, episode two. Welcome back. Cody and Matt here again. Um, doing a recap of season two now. We are, uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently than a lot of the recaps do. What we're going to focus on here is pretty much, and spoilers ahead, um, pretty much just the main characters that we're going to come back into in the season eight. We're, uh, we're all getting hyped for season eight. We're going to introduce, you know, and talk about the characters that are, that are, you know, pertinent to the plot of the season, but exactly. let's be honest. We, yeah. yeah, we want to talk about the people who are still yeah, relevant. That's, you know, that's what now. we want to talk about. This this show, like we discussed last episode, was my favorite thing about this is the the character development. And and this is kind of where you're getting to see, like, the first season was, was just kind of introductions and, you know, getting getting everything set in motion. But now we're, we're really starting to kind of see who the characters are, and some of them are already changing a little bit. Like Tywin Lannister, you kind of get to see a little bit of difference in him this season with Arya. Yeah, a little um, bit of humanity, I guess. Yeah. But uh I guess let's uh let's kinda get into it. So um pretty much the season starts with uh, you know, things are kinda shitty right now, very tense. Uh we're in the aftermath of uh Ned being killed by the Lannisters. Um a lot going on. They've they've captured Jamie. Uh Sansa's still in King's Landing, Tyrion's a hand of the king, you know, until Tywin returns. Um, while you're kind of getting to see the the Stark and Lannister kind of that whole thing, also what's going on is there's a battle for the uh, for the throne with Stannis and Renly Baratheon. Uh, Stannis is technically the rightful heir to the throne right, now that he's Robert's the oldest dead. Son of Robert, right? But his brother, old or Renly oldest here, brother yeah, oldest Robert. brother. So Renly is the younger brother, but he's much more charismatic. He's got a bigger army. The people love him. So you kind of get to see a battle between those two for the throne. Uh, with Stannis coming in, you get to see uh, the Red Queen, or sorry, the Red Priestess, the Red Witch, uh, Melisandre, and that kind of introduces the like a lot of the magic stuff, some of the magic aspects that you see uh, that kind of are followed by Danny's dragons at the end of season right. one. And it's hers is a lot more, is a lot stranger to me than than dragons, but. Uh, I digress. You also get to see with Renly, you get to see Marjorie Tyrell and the introduction of the Tyrells of uh, High Garden. A lot of money, pretty much from what we've seen, the only family whose money can rival, not, I mean, not quite rival, but almost match the Lannisters' uh, clout there. So you, you kind of don't really know how powerful or how important they're going to be to the story yet. But yeah, you know, they're great. I mean, with her and Loras. And the old lady, I forget what her name is, the Tyrell. Yeah, I can never uh, remember her name. Yeah, Olena. Yeah, that's Olena it. Olena Tyrell. Yeah. So they, they you know her. they're going to play a, yeah, I know, it's, she's great later on, but you know they're going to play a big role, at least early on, in establishing the story, and kind of that's, that's what season two is getting into. Yeah, and you get to see with uh, with Renly, you get to to meet Loras, and that's kind of a weird. Continues the the Game of Thrones fashion of throwing more weird sexual stuff at you. Renly is gay with Loras, but he's married to Loras' sister Marjorie, so that's kind of a whole weird thing. Um, you also get introduced to uh, to Brynn of Tarth here. Yeah, um, she's still still alive and kicking in uh, season eight, and you don't really. She's kind of like just an awkward character at this point, but you get to to really the big thing with her is the uh, culmination of the Stannis and Renly ordeal is the Red Priestess basically talks Stannis into banging her and then ends up in this really really just strange ass scene. Uh, Burr's this weird shadow baby that has uh has Stannis's face and he stabs Renly right in front of Bryn. So when that happens. 
her and Catalan Stark take off. Catalan has been trying to uh, to negotiate a treaty with Renly. He's the one that's got the stronger army, and she wants to get his army to help go fight the Lannisters. So right before Renly dies, Catalan secures that, and she's about to you know head north with her head held high, and then boom, Renly's dead. So the yeah, Starks she's take not, another she's blow. She's not there, but she is definitely... In the, in the area when Renly gets killed by this weird monster thing. I guess Brienne, from what I remember, is in the room. and She's, she's there, accused. Right, because the guards, you know, run in. And, Who believes and he's it's dead, a shadow. And, right, he's Who dead and no one else baby. is there. So, you know, they're led to believe that it was her. So, Catelyn shows up. She tells her, hey, get the heck out of here. And, you know, everything's They take good. off. Yeah, they take off together. So, from there, it... uh. Basically, Renly's troops don't have anyone to follow, so they follow behind uh, Stannis, and they decide that they're going to attack King's Landing. So they attack by water, and this is one of the, by far, like the coolest scenes that you kind of get to see. Um, basically, they're out there, and you see some other scenes with Tyrion, and you kind of, and we're going to get into his character development later, but basically he comes up with the idea to use wildfire to defeat Stannis' troops in the water. And as they're getting up through this fog, it's a pretty cool scene and they realize that they're they're pretty much fucked till it's till it's too late. Yeah, it's a boat that has all this wildfire pretty much, you know, even coming out the sides. And it's they, basically they just been fire. floating through the water, polluting the water with this wildfire for who knows how long. And then and it blows up spectacularly. Spectacular green like plumes of smoke coming up. It's it's one of the one of the better scenes that you kind of get to see. That uh, ultimately leads to them attacking by land because Stannis is just a complete psychopath and just continues to push forward. So Joffrey has a chance here. Have to you have to mention this yeah, to, to we step have to up and be Joffrey. Yeah, we have to. But he uh... and I want to make it clear too. Even though we're not going to go super in depth with a lot of these characters, I still will take every opportunity to call Joffrey a cunt that I get, and we get a couple opportunities uh, in this podcast. But we'll 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 get to that. That's fair. So here here's number one, where uh, they're really establishing the land battle, and it's really him and Tyrion there, and he pretty much bitches out and lets Tyrion take control of the troops and and lead the army essentially in battle of the uh, the Battle of Blackwater Bay, at least the uh, the land portion. So. You know that's that's pretty big time, I guess. And you you kind of it really you get to see Tyrion. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, later. we'll get more into his, his development. But that's the those scenes are kind of what shows Tyrion becoming. You know, like he's not. Yes, he's an imp, but he's still got a heart, big heart, and he's got he's a very intelligent guy. And right, he, can, he still he doesn't think want to look bad. He's yeah. a Lannister, you know. He's, yeah, he's and he still wants... he's more he has more bravery and shit than Joffrey's ever gonna have. Right. You know? That's kind of what that's showing you there, but uh, basically, uh, old Baelish Littlefinger, um, he's kind of behind everything always, and you see really, you know, he's already been behind double-crossing Ned to get Ned killed in the last season. You see that he's a snake, but you don't really understand how powerful he is until... You see, you know, he puts the bug in Tywin's ear that the the Tyrell army would be good for them. So, naturally, the... Their yeah, this like treaty has, is 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 happening behind everybody's back, and nobody really knows about it until you know until it happens. Right? Yeah, it's basically a surprise, and Stannis is defeated by Tywin leading the uh, Marjorie the that the, army to the Tyrell uh, family army 
in yeah in they the betrothed. They show up. They save the day. Yep. You know Tyrion's. You know he he ends up with this massive cut across his face. It'll have you know forever gets in the scar. show. So he gets his you know his, his iconic scar across his face in this battle. But yeah, his his dad shows up with the Tyrells. But like you said, back to Littlefinger, he's the one who orchestrates all this stuff, and it he seems to be like the the root of the weed almost. Yeah, he you see you see that he you don't understand how much. Like he, you're gonna really believe that he's a slime ball, but you start to see he's he's involved in a lot of the the big power plays that happen. So, um, in the midst of all that, Marjorie is betrothed to Joffrey, um, which kind of leaves Sansa in a little bit of a weird place. Um, Catelyn Stark decides to release Jamie to the Lannisters, as and they, yeah, as a she, nego- well, well as, as, as a negotiation a- tactic, of course, right? A, uh, brought to you by Littlefinger. Um, she wants to get Sansa and Arya back, so she sends uh, Brienne of Tarth with um, Jamie to take him back. Uh, in the midst of all that, Rob Stark still obviously over their army, um, but what he kind of does, he makes a big move in this this season that really it really cuts out a lot of the power that the yeah, Starks have. Yeah, so what have. he does, the, the main thing he does is he is betrothed, or he's supposed to marry... Yeah, he's uh, supposed to... Walder Frey's daughter. One yeah, of Walder one Frey's of daughter. Pick. Yeah, I don't remember her name, but what he does instead is he meets this girl who's just a commoner, a nurse, I guess, on the battlefield yep. and you know, gives her you googly know, eyes and they end up getting yeah, they end up getting married. So what happens is is he he nego- he negated any sort of treaty his house had with, with House Frey. And you you know, we'll talk about the implications of that later, but that's the biggest blunder he makes in the entire season. Yep. Entire season two. It was a really, really dumb move on his part. Like, and the the thing that's just kind of funny about the Rob that situation is, he makes such a stupid move when he does that, but he gets super pissed with Catelyn Stark when she releases Jamie and stuff like that. So you kind of see some turmoil there. But uh, then, I mean, the rest of the episode, you've got a, uh, you got Bran and his. Uh, you see a lot of the dreams, I guess. We can go kind of into him, but I mean, like when we go into the character thing, but it's basically, you know, it's Bran, Hodor, and Osha, the Wildling, and Rickon kind of just they escape, out in their yeah, own Yeah, they world. escape from yeah. Winterfell and head north, and that's pretty much what you know about their storyline. Well, we, so Theon, Greyjoy, who's still present, he, uh, he basically is an idiot, shows he's an idiot, and he takes Winterfell, uh, while, while he's got the opportunity to. Um, you kind of really, you really start to hate Theon here, and kind of think he's a major piece of shit. He takes, takes Winterfell. He, well, he was, he, he was raised. Yeah, he grows up with them. He's a basically they lost or they won the war against his family. He was raised by them they as part of the peace of the treaty. Starks. Yeah, Ward of the Starks. Um, he goes back with well, one scene we can get into too is him finger banging his sister on a horse. You don't know it's his sister yet, but you kind of see that. There's some really screwed up shit going on here. Yeah, they, I mean, it does a good job of establishing Theon as just, kind of a a, a dick. Yeah, I guess. Just, he's a just, clueless dick. Not even just a dick. He's just one of those characters where you're just like, dude, you're just a piece of shit. Like he's not like on a level of like Joffrey or like something like that. But right. he's just because he doesn't have that kind of power. But that's kind of the, the this season does a good job of establishing that. I guess. Yeah, that he just. Yeah, he just makes really bad decisions and kind of just goes off of of instinct, and you 
see what he does gets himself into. Um, but basically, in the the midst of all that, um, Ramsey Snow, who is Bruce Bolton's bastard, who is a uh, powerful man as well, um, he kind of makes a little little treaty or whatever peace, I guess, with Catelyn Stark. And sends his bastard son to go take Winterfell. And instead of taking off and running away, um, Theon is captured by Ramsay Snow. Um, that we'll get into later. Um, but then past that, you get to see, when you see Danny, she's pretty much sitting in the desert, pretty much screwed. It's a, it's mostly a political season for her, and it's not that great, to be honest. She has her dragons. The, 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 the highlight of the season is you get to see her dragons finally burn someone alive. Yeah. I guess that's the, that's so, the real highlight, but her, a lot of dullness. Yeah, and, her story's just kind of like being drug out at this point, just, I guess, to let other plot pieces fall into place. Right, but, so, so Drogo dies. There, She's left alone kind of in the desert with only a few followers, the Kalasar. It left her so they're wandering in the desert and they eventually happen upon this Karth city which is almost like an oasis in the desert if yeah. you remember seeing the show like it, it, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there too with like warlocks and stuff like that so it's like I, that's what I remember from this season is like you start to see a lot of very impactful things you think with like Stannis and Renly but then ultimately like they don't matter at all in the, in the long run but you see all this weird stuff like you see all the magic being introduced yeah, and the, yeah then the you kind warlocks of, and what i see from from danny is you pretty much see how how people are trying to take advantage of her is kind of the highlight well not yeah. the highlight but like the summary of the season for her you're you finally find out and these dragons are just like what a foot tall maybe a foot and a half tall at this point they're really small still so you're you find out what people are willing to do to take advantage of her situation yeah and with her low in numbers and pretty much and not quite alone but only a few followers there are you know, multiple people that jump at the opportunity to do that oh yeah for sure and i mean which is going to happen and she's she's very young and she doesn't have really that like no protection at all so i guess big thing with her is you know, she's basically trying to find passage across the narrow sea to get to Westeros. And while she's out bargaining, she comes back. All of her dragons are gone. Uh, a bunch of her people are killed. Um, she goes to guy, meets the guy head on in his little uh, magic palace of weirdness. Yeah, she goes in alone. Goes in alone. Uh, dragons, of course, protect her. You kind of get to see, you know, that even though they're that small, they can still do some damage. And... She finds the other guy that dicked her over, locks him in his vault, steals all his shit, buys his ship, and takes off. The only person we really haven't kind of got into that's big is the that from season one is is the wall situation up north. So uh, Jon Snow's up there. He's uh, going on a scouting trip to uh, scout White Walkers, and as they're they're north of the wall, they uh, they kind of realize that there's a wildling army threat that they need uh, to kind of be weary of uh this particular army is led by mance raider who is a former night's watchman so that's kind of the the big thing there that you get introduced to and um, once they finally stumble upon the army it's actually larger than really anybody had thought and it was kind of this ex-night what night's watchman is harnessing or pretty much getting everyone to leave their homes and building an army of people and all wildlings, everybody that lives north of the wall. And apparently that's a significant number of people. 
very significant, much more significant, like you said, than anybody kind of thought. And this just kind of, it's just kind of hinting at the fact that, uh, you know, something's going on, something's going on up there that is a big enough deal that you're getting all these nomadic tribes and people to band together to uh, attack the wall, which hasn't been done in how long. So, um, the season pretty much like wraps up. Well, I guess we kind of skipped some stuff. So this is a big thing with John is, uh, we start to see some young puppy love. They're, uh, they're out fight looking, scouting for the, uh, wildling army. And they, they kind of run into another, uh, another couple scouts. And, uh, one of those scouts as John's about, to, uh, to kill him, he flips over and you realize it's a woman. Yeah, but but you don't really know. I guess you you don't know at this point if it's really because she's a woman. But he doesn't kill her. He he definitely has the knife like to her throat, and he could chop her head off. But he decides not to for whatever reason. She takes advantage of that and uses that to escape. Well, at this point, I think with John, like he's so far from where he is in season eight in this season because at this point like you don't expect him to to kill anybody even if he's got the opportunity i mean unless he's like literally about to die and has no choice but at this point you're still kind of his character is almost like you just don't know what to do yet because like you want to root for him because he's a stark you know but it's just you're not sure what to do with him yet and this kind of this whole whole plot line is basically where he pretends that he's and trying to infiltrate the uh, the wildlings and become one of them to report back and help the Night's Watch, but that's where it kind of goes. And he's he's uh stuck up there with the wildlings and really kind of gets in ingrained with them. And then of course the season wraps up with the White Walkers kind of marching towards the wall. All right, so getting uh getting right into these uh, characters, still the the survivors, if you will. Um, we're just left off with John, so we're just pretty much going to hit on John and, and kind of who's left in his camp. Um, one person we do have to touch on that, uh, we kind of didn't talk about is Sir Davo Seaworth. Uh, really, I mean, not a lot of point in getting into detail with him. Um, he's not relevant to John right now, but he is in season eight. Yeah, they um, call him the Onion Knight. The Onion Knight. Um, with that, um... Only other person that's really left is Sam, and I mean honestly, the only thing that really kind of happens with him that's relevant is he finds the dragon glass, which is much yeah very important later on. Yeah, so. very important later on. But if you're, you're Sam's a very important character, it just kind of takes a while to get there. Yeah, and it kind of takes a while. He just kind of sticks around, and it's taken a, a while just for him to really become relevant to the grand you know the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I mean, pretty much with John, man, like we kind of already hit on him is you're, you're just kind of seeing some stuff going on up North that really has absolutely nothing to do with anything South of the wall, pretty much. Like you don't have any idea. He's just kind of up there separated from everybody else. He spends pretty much the whole season North of the wall. Like the way it makes it seem is they're really far up there. Yeah, it seems like they're way out there because even where he is, Sam is still back at that campsite, and they're they're supposed to be really far from there. Um, you just you kind of you don't really know what's going on. You just you see the you think you're going to be focused on those White Walkers, and then now this is more about the Wildlings. So even as we're starting to get into the White Walkers, 
you still see as it's going on now, all this other shit's going on and nobody's focusing on the White Walkers. We're just continuing to take down our own numbers as the White Walkers march. Um, following suit with the uh, with the Starkies, um, Sansa is pretty much just still continuing to uh, to get the shit beat out of her. Yeah, because go downhill mostly. And yeah, pretty much. Yeah, been in a downhill fall pretty much since half since her since, since she, Ned's killed. Yeah, since King's Landing. Yeah, so she uh she's just got to deal with Joffrey, who he's just a terrible person. I mean, there's no other way to 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 really say it. He's just a terrible guy. Um, you get to see scenes of Joffrey beating horse. Tyrion buys him some horse to cheer him up, and he just basically makes them makes them beat the shit out of each other because he's just a sadistic little fuck. Um, there's a there's even an interesting conversation between Cersei and uh, Tyrion in season two where she basically like admits to him like he's cruel. Like I know there's something wrong with him, but he's my son, and that's like why. Where you kind of get to see a little bit with her, but we'll go into her. Um, Sansa, you get to see her beat. She just gets the shit beat out of her in public by Joffrey because... Because the the Lannister forces are losing to the Stark forces farther up north. The kid's just... He's evil. He's just a a real bastard. Um, You get to see with her, though, you kind of get to see a little bit of a... Um, a humanization of the hound from this point before this you just see him as this big burly soldier that you know scarred yeah Yeah. just follows orders scarred he's got a scary appearance so you just think of him kind of as a beast but you get to see in one scene where Sans is about to be raped by these men the hound saves her so like that really kind of kind of catches you off guard and then in true Game of Thrones fashion, the next time they're talking, he's a royal prick to her, and she ends up bawling her eyes out, basically. Um, but he does offer to help yeah, her escape. Yeah, after the fact. Like, yeah. we just we go up and down, up and down, up and down. So he, he offers he, to he, help her escape and take her says, back to Winterfell, and she declines. She says no, but the key thing to talk about there is one thing that you get to see with the Hound is during the uh, the battles, the reason he ends up with Sansa is because he dips out of the battle because all those soldiers were catching on fire from the uh, um, water, trying to get out of it and survive. And you kind of get to see him just like kind of freeze up. And that's like the first moment where you really get to see him not as this just vicious killer. Yeah, the fire really affects him. And you can kind of see you don't know why yet really, but... He just, he's scared shitless of the fire. So he takes off, does what anybody would do, gets drunk, and then <laughs> he uh, he actually, like I said, offers to save Sansa. She doesn't want to, so he says, fuck you, I'm out, and dips. Um, as for the other Starks, um, Arya, she gets captured, but on before she gets captured, she, uh, she just randomly, and like the scene doesn't even really... You don't understand the significance of it right when it happens, but she frees up some prisoners that were trapped yeah, in a little scene. Yeah, they're trapped in a little cage that's on fire, so she throws them an axe so they can break out, and then she gets caught. Well, one of those prisoners that she uh, she set free was Jacquin, the face faceless assassin, and he he kind of plays a very 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 big part for uh, San or Jesus Arya uh, moving forward. 
she saves him, so in this season, he gives her three kills. He tells her, I'll kill three people for you. A very assassin thing to do, yeah, right? Yeah, just like, you saved my life, <laughs> just I'll, t- t- I'll tell take me a their name. for you. Yeah, yeah, tell me their name, and I'll, I'll off them. So the, the smart play from her, and I guess you don't really even think about it that much, but it kind of shows you that she can really think on her feet, is she basically tricks him into saying that he'll kill himself if he doesn't save her. So he gets her out of there. He basically gives her this ancient-ass coin and gives her some words to say if she wants to, you know, start training like he has been trained. But, of course, she's more concerned with getting back to her family and doesn't want to do that yet. So that's kind of where uh, where her story parts. And then the only other Stark that's left still standing in Season 8 is old Bran. And, I standing, mean, that's funny. Uh, that is, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty funny cause he can't stand. He's got, he's got no legs. Um, there's not really a whole lot going on with him that's really furthering the plot. I mean, they're on the run, him, Rickon, Osha and, uh, Hodor, but you kind of get to see another glimpse of the whole magic side of, of the, the game when you see all these dreams that he's having, he's having dreams of this three eyed Raven and he's having dreams of, basically being in his uh direwolf summer and you just you don't really know exactly what's going on yet but he just keeps having these dreams and they're so vivid that you can tell that there's something else going on you just don't know what yet yeah they're very weird and very vague yeah and they they definitely try to to try to kind of keep that at bay without telling you anything and they do a really good job of keeping you interested without dragging it out and like right so so they didn't have any of that they didn't have any of that the first season any of the kind of fantasy like magic stuff so what happened in the first season is later on they introduced the dragons and so after the dragons are finally introduced like for the first time you get to season two and the only time you see it in season two and they kind of you know make a good point of, of showing that is with the red lady the red witch and like other than her like birthing the you know monster the smoke monster thing um really you don't see any of her like they just like you said they light stuff on fire all the time mm-hmm. so you don't really see like what what she can really do until that point so you have that and then the development of you know what we were talking about so those three things show the like mystical one fantasy thing, like the the weird magic shit going on especially like like Bran is that that's all you get it, and it's really weird it's not just like dreams like his eyes go all white and and you kind of he, he, you could tell that like something's going on he's not just like sleeping i guess yeah you can tell there's something going on you just you don't know what yet and when i started seeing that i immediately made kind of uh i guess that made me think of professor x with the x men like he's got mental capabilities, but he's paralyzed. Like okay. that, I just tied those two together because I've yeah, I've always been a big X Men fan. So, as soon as I started seeing that stuff, like that kind of okay, I get it. You took his his ability to walk away, so you're gonna give him a a power that he doesn't need to be the like use physical force for. So that I kind of thought, but I mean, at this point in the game, you really have no idea. And I remember talking to you a lot even in, I feel like, into season three and season four, moving on, that you really don't have any idea what his what he's capable of. Yeah, they really drag out his character arc for a long time. Even now, you kind of don't really know exactly what he is. He's just kind of strange. 
But, I mean, you have more answers, you know, have come in the, the last few seasons. But, like you said, it's kind of they, they drag it out for a long time with really no answers until later on. I feel like it's kind of a similar, a similar thing to what they're doing with uh, with Danny at this point in the show. Like, you're just – you're kind of just slowing things down to kind of let the other all the other chips kind of fall – and then bringing them in. But it is a very, very slow story. Because, I mean, basically, like, at this point, Sans is in King's Landing amidst all the shit because that's where everything's popping off because of the Lannisters. The rest of them really aren't involved in the main play of the game at this point. Rob is, but... Bran's kind of holding down Winterfell, I guess, at that point before Theon takes over, but... And that's another key thing, too. A really, really key thing here is after this season, you don't know. You don't know. You think that Bran and Rickon are both dead because Theon, to get back to why he is just a, a shady fucking dude, he has two random farm boys killed, hung, burned on, set on fire, just to show that there, there are no more Starks in Winterfell. So at this point, you think that those two are dead. Sans is being held hostage in King's Landing still. You've got Bran, or sorry, um, John up north, who's nowhere to be found. And then Rob, Rob's the only one left, really, at this point, that's that's in a position to actually really affect anything that's going on. And he's got his army. So, I mean, the Starks didn't get, I guess the the amount of shots taken at him in this season as the first season, but there are still blows that that happen along the way. They're still getting And they're still all separated from the yeah, most part. Which is key. Like I feel like everyone else is kinda, you know, they might take their licks here and there, but they're all still together. Th- these guys are so far spread out and they don't even know where that where the yeah, next Kat, one is. Kat, no one even knows where Arya is. Catelyn they you know, she trades Jamie, we mentioned that for both Sansa and Arya. Because Baelish lied to her and said that they were both in King's Landing because he's a fucking dick. Yeah, it all comes back to Baelish. But, and he knew that they didn't know where Arya was, that she had escaped or whatever. Yes, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a little bit of a different situation than they're in from season one. But, I mean, it's not like they they move into a position of power by any means here. You still, you just... You still expect them to be like, all right, Ned's dead. Yeah, which the closest one's thing next? to that would be, you know, Bran takes over for a little bit, but they lose Winterfell, and then really it's uh, Sansa becoming queen. You think she has the potential, even up through what half of the second season, that she's going to become queen? So I mean, that's that's power there, but she has no support, and the rest of her family is sprawled across the rest of you know Westeros. So and that's, 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 end, of no, that's of no help to anybody. At the end of the season, you pretty much find out that Marjorie's going to become queen. And at one point, when Sansa wanted to stay in in King's Landing, when Ned was trying to get her to leave, she was all excited to be Joffrey's queen. And then she's happy that she's not going to be Joffrey's queen at that point because she's already started to see how fucking evil a kid is. So I mean, the Starks aren't uh, they're not falling apart, but they're not. They're not going. Things aren't going well for them. They they've went from this prominent family in the north to now being super spread out. There's even there's even turmoil amongst like Rob and Catelyn are the only two that have really been together. And there's even some turmoil there between them over the whole 
you know, him marrying that girl and her deciding to set uh, Jamie free and everything. So there's there's definitely some 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 kinks going on there in the uh, the old family tree, but you don't really know what's going on with all of them. They don't really seem like they're affecting things that much at this point. And you still, you gotta, you gotta just feel bad for the Starks, man. They just get their asses handed to them nonstop. But, um, Danny, she pretty much kind of like we said, I mean, hers is kind of being drug out. Uh, you kind of start to, you get to see the dragon finally shoot some flames and set some shit on fire. So that's kind of cool that you Very get cool. to, to see that. But her thing is just kind of pretty much staying where, where it was before, you know, she's getting kicked and then she rises. She's getting kicked and then she rises. So she, in the midst of all this being left for dead in the desert, they find this city. She's got plenty of people to try to talk to to get a boat. You think it's going to happen. And, of course, it doesn't. So it's like right as soon as you start to feel hope for her, it's like, oh, here we go again. And I remember, like, I'm rooting for her now. But at one point in time, it was just, her story was just boring. Yeah. It was it was essentially who was going to try to take advantage of her next. Yeah, it's in, in pretty what much way, what's going because on. she's young and naive and has you know at this point I think her only advisor is Jora, right? Still, just only Jora and Jora, you know, loves her. So he has other. This is interests. the season you get to see yeah, in this season fighting. the creepy shit because the uh, the one of the the guy that she locks in the vault he's trying to marry her and that's where you kind of get to see that creepy love that that uh, only Jora could really possess. Um. So it's just her, it's him, and it's a few other Dothraki that are left over, but most of them, they take off without her, and she's left with nothing. She so. pretty much doesn't have much of a shot at all at this point in the game. But she has no bargaining chips. That's the thing is three dragons aren't going to get you anywhere because she is, I mean, she's not like a circus show or anything. She's no. not going to sell one of them or anything like that. I think that's no. brought up in this season too. Potentially like selling one of the dragons for... You know, a bunch of ships or something like that. Not willing. She's not going to do it. Not willing to uh, to part ways with her, her dragons. But she's the mother of dragons, man. She's got the name for a reason. Plural, yeah. Alright, so we've pretty much covered the Starks and uh, Danny. Uh, might as well go right into the, uh, the old Lannisters, the arch nemesis of the Starks. So, I mean, pretty much... Jamie, you get to see because he's definitely still tied into the Starks at this point. Um, you get to see him with Brienne of Tarth, so you kind of get to uh, see the dynamic of them when when he first gets with her. Uh, he tries and tries and tries to get her to let him go free, but this is where you kind of really get to see that there are so many shady people in this this entire show. She's not one of them. She, I think, honestly, the only other person that you could really compare to her would be, like, a Ned. Because he wouldn't do anything dishonorable. She wouldn't either. You'll see anybody else, pretty much, kind of... Yeah, and it's interesting, because Jamie at one point, you know, is a knight and, and stabs his own king in the back. So he's kind of the opposite of what you would consider a loyal, trustworthy, honorable knight... And that's kind of the the what Brienne is supposed to be, what she's supposed to show you, like how you know you're, she's tall, she's strong, she's tough, but still, you know she she messes dudes up, and and I think he doesn't really get that. He just thinks that she's some big chick until they they come upon like three people that notice, I think, who he is yeah. in the woods, and she just messes him up. She tears him up. Yeah, 
And that, yeah, that's where you really get to see the respect. And then from that point on, the whole relationship kind of changes. And it's not just Jamie being the the Lannister Jamie version that we've seen, just the pompous prick that we've seen. You really kind of get to see a more human side of him at this point moving forward. But yeah, you just really get to see it's it's an it's an interesting concept where they put Brienne so honorable with Jamie, who, who what we've the, been told so far like, is the King Slayer. He stabbed right. the king in the back. He's a piece of shit. So but that's you, what he was supposed to be back in the day. You know, he was part of the the King's Guard for the Mad King. It's just interesting that that they put those two two characters together. I mean, honestly, really enjoy watching those two together. It's it it works out being a very good duo, and they they play off each other very well. But um, that's really all that's going on with Jamie right now. He's just kind of had his shit. You he's know, a his, captive for most. Yeah, of the he's season. been getting his ass handed to him. You don't really see that from the Lannisters at all. No Lannister really gets. The shit into the stick ever, so that's that's what you know. And then Jamie, here we are. Jamie's getting the shit kicked out of him. Right. So he also like kills in the in the cage that he's in. He kills his own cousin, and just to get out to create like a, I guess a diversion. Back to what uh, we said like in, in this whole show, where everybody will do shady shady things. He'll kill his own cousin just to get himself free, because that's. Pretty much what the the Lannisters are. They'll do anything to protect their name and to do what's best for them. So I mean, but he's really not playing that. The biggest role he plays currently in this season is the fact that he's a bargaining chip for the start for Catelyn Stark and her best interests. So that's pretty much all that that he's kind of going through there. Um, Cersei's obviously being her and just being a terrible. Just terrible person to be around. The uh, one one big scene you see from her is when uh, they're pretty much certain that they're going to die. They're pretty certain that their army is about to be defeated. And you see her about to give Tommen poison to kill him just so that he won't be captured. Him being dead is a better outcome than him being captured by opposing forces. So that just shows you right then and there, if you didn't catch on from season one where Bran gets pushed out of out of a tower and paralyzed trying to kill him, that she'll do anything to, pr- to protect herself and her family. Now you see that she'll even poison her own son. But on, on top of that, you just, you see how just cold-hearted and heartless she is as she's talking to Sansa and the other women up there when they're locked in. Basically, just going into to great detail about how oh, if if this this place gets overran, we're all getting raped, like we're just getting the shit raped out of us. And it's like you're telling this to a girl that's how old, that's been through how much shit. It's yeah, like Sansa, just, she already yeah, she already has, you know, dealt with a lot of the stuff that would already have pushed other people over the edge. I mean, she's already kind of becoming just like submissive and kind of I guess used to it at this point which is awful you know I just came up with a great alternate no, but, but if you want to talk about like Cersei right so it seems like I don't know it's it almost seems like she's very protective of Joffrey but I kind of think that she she likes Joffrey she likes that someone is crazier than she is and like Joffrey is blatantly obviously crazier than even Cersei at this point and she can kind of stay in the back 
and 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 have all of her little political tricks going on and her allegiances and stuff in the back and she's like I could just have this you know little crazy kid this mm-hmm. nut job just control everything she's the only one that control him yeah but she's the only one that tries and that's kind of a, well, what happens you know later on is that she realizes that she doesn't have as much he he realizes how much control he has as the king and he can pretty much not listen to her at all but the interesting thing is is how you see just she finally starts to see how screwed up this kid is in, in this this season. I think she finally calls him a monster yeah. at, at one point. She's talking to she has that conversation with, Sansa? with Tyrion. Oh, with Tyrion, okay. And it's just that's the first time that you really kind of see her admit and kind of like that she realizes because at this point you don't realize that if is does she see that he's a monster or is she so blind to who he really is because of where she's at of of her just her personality and her I love this kid so much he's me and Jamie's love child I love right, him but to we, death. yeah turns a blind eye to it and she loves her kids but that we talked about that last on the last podcast was that she really only cares about herself and how much yeah. power she can have for herself so even with her son as the king She's thinking, you know, he's not married yet. Um, I'm the one who's really controlling this dude. And especially with him being so young. That's, I mean, that's nice because she still thinks she has all the control. It's all about power with her. And you'll, you just, that's the one thing that never changes that stays true. I mean, honestly, so many characters change. She doesn't. She's pretty much just constantly the terrible person that she is. Um, yeah, she. You just kind of get to see that whole. It's just weird. I don't know. It's it's almost like with the whole incest thing that that they really start to show you with uh, the cousin. What's his name? The one I can't remember. He gets shot with the bolt in the uh, the battle that they're having. The battle. Yeah. The dude that becomes the sparrow. What's his name? Oh, uh, Lancel Lannister. Or Lancel, obviously, yeah. So, that's a big thing, too, is you you get to see in this episode, or this season, that uh, she's not just banging her brother. She's also banging her little cousin. And that kind of, that gets found out by Tyrion at one point. Yeah, he uses it to blackmail her. So, so all the information that he's feeding Cersei then goes to Tyrion instead. That's the only way that Tyrion won't come out and tell everybody. So he, you kind of get to see, like we were getting to when we were talking about the recap earlier, you really get to see a different side of Tyrion in this season. Season one's kind of just, he's the laughing, joking guy, the the drunk, he's wasted all the time. But now you kind of get to see that he's way more than that. Like he's not going to be like Jamie is with a sword ever or anything like that, but he's a very intelligent man he's got a mind for you get to see you know with the the wildfire and everything that he's got a great military mind but on top of that he also understands the politics of everything and you get to see that with the whole um discussion about you know behind Cersei's back about Marcella being sent to Dorne to it's it's put up as a facade of let's strengthen the family ties right but Tyrion does it to piss Cersei off and that's a big scene, too, between the two of them. And you really get to see a, a hateful side of Tyrion where he pretty much tells her, like, 
you're you're gonna pay for this. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take something from you. But you get to see more of that battle. So even Lannister stuff. That's what you realize. I mean, you you realize with with Jamie and Cersei in the first season, but really with her and Lancel in this season, just the the backstabbing and the sleeping around just within their own family is just it's incest is a common trait uh, for just the whole the whole the show as a whole. Because I mean, even the the Targaryens, they're known to be incest from way back in the day. But you get to see kind of a, a common thing between like the Starks and Lannisters here is you know there's there's a little bit of turmoil within the family, but they're obviously in very very different uh, situations. Um, Jamie, you're just kind of getting to see you know is he gonna change? Cersei's pretty much the same person, but Tyrion, like, you know, you just really, you get to see him kind of start to, to take control, not just in the Battle of uh, Blackwater Bay, but you also get to see when he returns, when he originally returns to King's Landing, he walks in there, and that's when Joffrey's beating Sansa, and he makes him stop, he bitch slaps him, you get to see him bitch slap him again, which is a lot of fun, especially for as much about as you that. hate Joffrey. You won't yet... Tyrion is the only person who slaps him, and he slaps him multiple times on the show. It's great. It's It was really enjoyable to see. I remember the first time seeing it. It's just like, yeah, fuck that kid, man. And you really, it's just, you enjoy it so much. I don't know why. It's just, you really love that character. I mean, it's still, it stays true to even to season eight. You just, you love Tyrion as a character because he's, there's just more, there, he's just so, he's so fun to love. He seems smarter than everybody, but he's less, uh, even the smart people, we talk about, varies you talked about Baelish all these people that are you know pretty pretty political they know how to play the game at least but they're they're more underhanded Tyrion isn't that underhanded he's only underhanded if you kind of try to step in his swim lane or fuck with them I guess he's really you know he only hurts the people that piss him off yeah so, he's not it's a little finger and varies they're a little different because they pretty much will 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 cross any tie anybody. to get to anybody to get to, to, to where they want to be or what they're being paid to do or, you know, anything like that. This is pretty much where you kind of get to, to see that Tyrion, he's a very complex character and he's, he's a lot different than his brother and sister. So, I mean, basically just give you a, a very, very brief recap of where our main characters still stand in are at the end of season two you know, the Starks are, are scattered from way north of the Wall all the way down to King's Landing. Most of the world thinks that most of them are dead or don't matter because John's up at the Wall. Lannisters are uh, still doing Lannister things. Tywin's controlling a big, still, powerful army, still protecting the family name. Still making power moves. Continuing to to get the Lannisters more and more more triumphs. Um, I mean, it's pretty much a wrap on on that, and we'll uh we'll be back with uh season three, and another recap of uh Sansa's series of psychotic trauma, <laughs> and uh we'll see you guys next week. All right, thanks for listening.